Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a Sideline Sleuth. Today we're going to talk about a case that has been described as one of the most complicated and bizarre crimes in FBI history. The death of Brian Douglas Wells. But Brian's story is so much more than just his death. It's just as the FBI described it. A bizarre and complicated tale of bank robbery, a scavenger hunt, and a bomb. So... I selected this case to be the episode for this week because Brian died on August 28th, 2003. Mm -hmm. So the anniversary of his death just passed a couple days ago. This story takes place in Erie, Pennsylvania. My family, well, my extended family is from Pennsylvania. My dad was born and raised in Pittsburgh, and I have some cousins who grew up in Union City, which is like 20, 25 miles from Erie. At the time that this took place, The population of Erie was about 101,000 people, and today it's about 97,000. I also picked this case because I recently introduced my sister to the fantastic true crime podcast called All Crime No Cattle. Have you listened to that, Jasmine? So they're all Texas crimes, not necessarily murders, but crimes in Texas. You have told me about it. Okay. And they have this really great episode. It's my favorite one that they did um, about the bank robber Cowboy Bob. And this story is about a bank robbery, too. So let's dive right into what happened to Brian. According to police, Brian Wells and two other people, Marjorie Deal Armstrong and Kenneth Barnes, conspired to rob the PNC Bank on Peach Street in Erie, Pennsylvania. Police believe that Brian was a knowing and willing participant in the bank robbery, but here's where it gets weird. Brian had a homemade explosive device attached to a metal collar that was fastened to his neck. Police believe that Brian thought the bomb would be fake and just a scare tactic to carry out the plot, but learned shortly before the robbery that it was in fact a live bomb. But let's back up a little bit. Brian was a pizza delivery man in Erie. On the Explains afternoon, the need to rob a bank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they actually had a really weird motive. So, on the afternoon of his death, he received a call to deliver two pizzas to eighty-six thirty-one Peach Street, which, according to Google Maps, is only three point seven miles away from the pizza place where he worked, and four miles from the PNC Bank. Eighty-six thirty-one Peach Street is the address of a television channel's transmitting tower at the end of a dirt road. When Brian arrived at the tower. Police believe that this is when the plan changed and he found out that he would actually be strapped with a real bomb. Though police were never able to completely iron out the details of what happened at the tower and how it all went down, they're pretty certain that it went this way. So once at the tower, Brian gets a homemade shotgun that looks like a walking cane as well as nine pages of handwritten instructions about what to do next. The instructions claim that three black men captured him, strapped this bomb to his neck, and are forcing him to rob this bank as their hostage. The instructions were addressed to quote-unquote bomb hostage and sent him on basically a scavenger hunt. He had to complete tasks within a certain time frame in order to delay the bomb's detonation. These tasks included him collecting keys all the way up until the very end where the final key would supposedly defuse the bomb. 
the quote-unquote bomb hostage, was warned that he would be under constant surveillance and that any attempt to involve law enforcement would result in immediate detonation of the bomb. So, if Brian is in on it, that's one thing. I mean, I know he could probably still be scared, but once he learned that the bomb was real, how much, like, can you imagine, like, if you were actually, like, accosted by strangers and they, like, put a bomb on you and gave you instructions and, like, a timer, basically, like... So wait, I think I have to back up. Okay. So he, they, police believe he knew about this whole plot and he was going to pretend to be yes. this bomb hostage yes. that was trying to deliver pizza and then he got, he got accosted. accosted. Yeah. Okay. And, but. Police think he was actually in on it with the other two people. Not, and he just, yeah. but, but he still strapped the bomb to his neck once he realized that it was real? Yes. He I, is a daredevil. Okay. Yeah, so I. And I just be, I think I'd be scared even if I was like a participant. And then, but if I was, like, can you imagine if they, if he really was just trying to deliver a pizza and that's how yeah. they selected yeah. him? Like, I don't know. So, that's a really good story. Yeah, this These is These guys just, are reading cool books. And yeah, <laughs> this is like straight out of a movie or something. Yeah. So at the bottom of the instructions, it said, quote, act now, think later, or you will die, end quote. Like, this is like a movie, so... Task number one was to go to the PNC Bank on Peach Street and give the teller the note that was provided to him demanding $250,000. It was also instructed that he should use the shotgun to threaten anybody who was not cooperating or was attempting to leave the bank. So Brian arrived at the bank around 2.30 p.m. and slid the note to the teller. It said that the bomb would detonate in 15 minutes if they did not hand over the full amount in that time frame. However, the teller was unable to access the vault, and so she gave him $8,702, and then Brian left the bank. What? And I'm not really sure why he thought that amount would be sufficient, because it's nowhere near a quarter million dollars, and there's a bomb around your neck that's going to explode if you don't get 250000 so why did you settle for 8700 mm-hmm. Okay. But maybe he thought that... Like, the circumstances were out of his control, so his friends would, like, understand. understand. And I don't want to call him this co-conspirator. Like, if he's in on it, he probably was like, well, these people, I know them. They're not going to blow my head off when I couldn't help it. Like, I did what I could, but So just this specific teller wasn't able to access? I don't know. I feel like... And it did. Yeah, there's yeah. a bomb around my neck, and I know that that's. I might be like, to ask somebody else. Yeah. Where's the manager? Like, this is going to yeah. blow up. Give me the money. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like I would up. make it a dire situation, especially because I have a gun cane. Yeah. Yeah, I would be like, and somebody in here can neck. open the vault. Yeah. 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 And by not doing it, that does kind of make him seem like a co conspirator. Mm-hmm. Because if I was really accosted by strangers, I would be like, please help me. No, like, you don't some, understand. You don't understand. Yeah. I'm not to start yelling. <laughs> yeah. So he probably thought that they weren't going to kill him. But. Okay. He was wrong. So at 2.38, a witness from inside the bank called 911 and said that a male was leaving the bank with, quote, a bomb or something wrapped around his neck, end quote. This is the first known emergency call about what was going on. And Brian was arrested about 15 minutes after the robbery when police spotted him standing outside his car and cornered him. While Brian... While Brian pleaded with police to believe his story, they handcuffed him and left him sitting on the ground in the parking lot as they tried to figure out what to do. Just as planned, Brian told them that while he was out making a pizza delivery, three black people, unknown to him, strapped a bomb to his neck, gave him the shotgun, told him to rob the PNC bank, as well as complete a series of other tasks, and that if he didn't do it, they would detonate the bomb 
and kill him. Can we just, why does it have to be three black people? Have, like, I don't know, like, I think they're playing on society's, like, fears. Yeah, which is, I don't know. I think it could have been three anybody. Yeah, three men, three masked men. Yeah, we, yeah, I couldn't, I don't know what race they are. They're completely covered, like. Yeah. Y'all didn't see the pictures of the people involved in this, but none of them none are black. None of them are black, so. <laughs> I will post pictures on our Facebook and Instagram, of course. So, first responders did not attempt to detonate the device, which makes sense. I'm not sure if those people are trained for this. Like, we have entire bomb squads for this reason. So, the first people on the scene, instead of trying to help Brian, they focused on securing the area and, like, the immediate dangers, like, getting pedestrians out of the way and stuff. And I think that's the right call. Okay, so. yeah. But they also wanted to make sure that Brian didn't have the capability to detonate the bomb himself. So, the bomb squad was called at 3.04 p.m., which, you know, is like 30 minutes after the first 911 call from the witness at the bank, but only 10 minutes after the police arrested Brian. So it was a pretty prompt response. Yeah. But before the bomb squad arrived, the bomb detonated. At 3.18 p.m., only three minutes before the bomb squad arrived on the scene, it blasted a fist-sized hole in Brian's chest and killed him within minutes. My freshman year in high school, I was living in Pensacola, Florida. So, Woo-hoo. hello to all my friends who live over there and listen to this. And we had a ton of bomb threats called into our school the very beginning of that year. And we had to wait what seems like forever, like hours, for the bomb squad to get to our school. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because they were coming from Eglin Air Force Base. But, so this is like quick. Yeah, like, this is very Like, they called them the bomb squad's already on the way, so... Despite them not getting there in time to save them because they said there was traffic in the area, which I can imagine. People just found out this guy has a bomb strapped to him right there. They're all trying to evacuate. So they were delayed from that. But the ATF, which is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, still consider this to be an appropriately timed response. And I think that's fair. Yeah. So what can you do? So Yeah. And I guess part of the threat was like, this guy's going to be surveilled. And like, if police are involved, yeah. we're going to detonate. Yeah, that's so true. it totally makes, I mean, they were 100% involved. Yeah. Uh, they became involved yeah. Yeah. for a while yeah. before he, it got detonated. Yeah, like 30 minutes after the first call was made and 15 minutes after he was arrested. So, yeah. so news crews were broadcasting the incident. But fortunately and unfortunately, they experienced a technical problem at the exact moment that the bomb detonated, so that wasn't shown on live TV. Thank goodness. Somehow later, though, it was still leaked and found its way online, but mostly it's been taken down. You, I did not watch it because I didn't want to, yeah. but I'm pretty sure you can find it if you're that creepy. <laughs> so. so you know how they gave him instructions that said Brian had to complete a series of tasks to delay the bomb's detonation? Mm-hmm. Well... Later, police attempted to travel that route in the instructions and do exactly what it said. And they found out that it was actually impossible and could not be completed in the time frame that they gave him. So, in other words, regardless of what had unfolded, Brian would have not had enough time to get the bomb defused and it would have detonated and killed him anyway. So even if he got $250,000, even if no one called the cops, he was able to, because that was just task one, remember? Yeah. So if he was able to go through all of them, he still would have been killed. Gosh, is that, like, if he's a willing participant, did he not, like, calculate that? Or, like... I think he was trusting people who weren't actually his friends. That just seems like the ultimate sad story. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, don't rob banks and, like... Whatever, yeah, but, but like he was just doing something with his pals. And yeah, but he was he was like their sacrifice. So 
I mean, I guess they thought they were going to get $250,000 and then split it between two people. I guess. So. I don't know. Maybe okay, we'll so the motive is actually what we're going to talk about next. <gasps> so why would you attach a bomb to someone's neck, concoct a terrible story about an abduction and forced robbery and all of that? Like, what was the motive for these people? Well, Brian was reportedly brought into this through Kenneth Barnes, one of the co-conspirators. Brian met Kenneth through a woman named Jessica Hoopsick, and I'll talk more about her later. But the motive for the robbery was because Marjorie, the other co-conspirator, wanted to hire a hitman to kill her father, Harold, so that she could get her inheritance from him. And that's why she needed $250,000, because that was the sum that the hitman gave Marjorie to have her dad murdered. First off, if you get into a scheme with someone who is planning to kill their own daddy. Yeah. They're probably not going to be pretty, like, they're probably not going to be loyal to you. Yeah. Unsavory individual. Wow. Ultimate unsavory individual. So, as you know, Brian received far less than that amount, just $8,700, which would not have been enough money to have Harold killed. So, it was, like... Super fruitless. Yeah. And if you got $250,000... Do you still need to kill your dad, or can't you be content with $250,000? Why would someone help? Why would multiple people help you in a robbery that they don't stand to benefit from? Yes, it's they like. They didn't get more than $250,000. They just no. got exactly enough for a hitman. They didn't even calculate tax. Nothing. I'm just so kidding. They were, they were, yeah, they, it seemed like. Under the table. I don't know time. what Marjorie did, like how she convinced these people, like, yeah. hey, will you commit this serious crime with me so that I can get rich? Like. Yeah. Or maybe she promised them some of the inheritance. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. So, according to federal officers, a month before the robbery, Marjorie supposedly asked Kenneth Barnes, who you know was an acquaintance of Brian Wells, how to build a pipe bomb. Around that same time, she also gave two egg timers to a handyman named William Rothstein, whom she had previously dated and who she believed would be able to build a collar bomb. Shortly before the robbery, Marjorie also fatally shot and killed her boyfriend, James Roden. What? Yeah. So she is just, like, all over the place. Why is she so out on the street? She, they didn't know that James was dead yet. So the allegedly oh. she killed him because she thought he was going to go to the police and spill the beans about their bank robbery plan. So she killed him. Later, she pleaded guilty but claimed that she was mentally ill in connection with his death. And she didn't actually have anything to do with it but was pleading guilty to avoid a worse sentence. My mouth is wide open. So she's saying she didn't kill him, but she's going to say she killed him to to avoid, like, trial and all that stuff. So after she shot and killed James, she needed a place to dispose of his body. (gasps) So ex-boyfriend slash handyman William Rothstein offered up his freezer as the venue. Listen, how is she getting all of these men to do her bidding? She's she must not be even like, like look at really her. Really like, persuasive or like she must have, have some skills. That's what I was thinking. She just, just looks like a regular old lady. Like a, like a not judging, but but on the worser side. Worser side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the raggedier side. Yeah, like if you're going completely average, she's below it. But Yeah, yeah, well, she's also older. Yeah. That doesn't work to her advantage. Not to say that I'm not being ageist. I'm just saying. But Kenneth Barnes, I mean, he's not her boyfriend, but her other co-conspirator, he is not. So she just preys on, like, pretty intelligent, but also below average men. I don't know if they're smart. Brian Wells is a pizza man who thought he was going to rob a bank with them. So I don't think intelligence. older pizza man. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think intelligence has anything to do with this. I think it's, like, 
gullible. I don't like, think it takes a certain measure of intelligence to create a collar bomb. I think Kenneth might be smart, but Brian's not. Candyman dude. Marjorie was smart. She was a valedictorian of her high school. We'll talk about that in a second. Oh, so maybe she's just, like, extra manipulative. Smart people know. Yeah, and okay. she's also mentally ill. Okay. So William's like, yeah, you can ditch his body in my freezer. But William died from cancer in 2004 and maintained his stance that he was completely uninvolved in the pizza bomb bank plot. So Marjorie received a 7 to 20 year sentence for that killing of her boyfriend because she said she was crazy and she was crazy. So, but I'm not understanding how Brian drew the short end of the stick here and was selected as the bomb wearer because like you said, he stands to benefit like not at all. It's not his dad. It's not his inheritance. And as far as I know, he had a very limited, if any at all, relationship with Marjorie and it's her dad. Yeah. It's not like he's Marjorie's friend. He was Jessica Hoopsick's acquaintance who also knew Kenneth. So it's like he's like so on the fringe yeah. of this friend group and somehow he gets to wear the bomb. Yeah. This is what I just keep my friend group real small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I also would just don't rob banks together. So yeah. don't Mar- wear collar bomb. Yeah. Don't even like I don't even know how to make a bomb. The morals of the story are very common sense. (laughs) So Marjorie was the only child of Harold Deal, who at one time had an estate valued at $1.8 million. But when Harold died in 2014, at the age of 95, his estate was valued to be about $120,000 because he gave gifts and money away to family and friends. In an interview not long before he died, Harold said that he had completely cut his daughter off financially decades ago due to her criminal activity and her inability or lack of desire to maintain employment. Wait, 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 wait. You said that his estate was valued at 120000 Yeah. And she... Was going to get 250000 to kill him. And then but get $120,000? Oh, she didn't know the, she the value of his estate. She thought it was supposed... It was $1.8 million. At some point. And then, like, 10 years later, it was only 120000 So it might have been at the $1 million-ish in 2003 when, when this went down. But at the time he died, it was significantly lower. Like, she would have been better off Just with the 250. The yeah. Yeah. You said she's crazy. She's crazy. Okay. So, in an interview he gave once his daughter was connected to the bank robbery bomb thing, he said, quote, she wouldn't kill me, but she would probably get someone else to do it. She tends to be greedy, end quote. In his will, he left only about $2,000 to Marjorie, but she actually received nothing because this estate was obligated to pay outstanding medical bills before any inheritance. So the 250 would have been a way better idea. So if that's the motive for the robbery, what was the motive for attaching a live bomb to Brian Wells? All right, so it's believed that Marjorie and the other conspirators had planned to kill Brian all along because they wanted to reduce the number of witnesses and tie up loose ends, which is why the scavenger hunt didn't even matter because the bomb was going to detonate no matter what. That's so flippant. I mean, just... Cruel. Yeah. Just They sacrificed him. If you don't... I don't understand. If she wanted to tie up loose ends, she has Kenneth, not to say that she has to pick somebody. They really yeah. just brought a random in to... Like, kill, it was to fun. To sacrifice them. Yeah, like... Because Kenneth's her actual friend. So she needed somebody she wasn't attached to, I guess, to literally sacrifice him. So poor Brian. Whether he may have really wanted to rob this bank with them, which makes yeah. him a little questionable. Yeah, but, but like, he didn't know he was going to be sacrificed. Like, so I think he was a willing participant in the robbery, but 
he didn't know that these they were they planned to murder him. His murder was planned. He just didn't know that. That's really really sad. He thought it was just a bank robbery, but it was actually going to be a murder the whole time. Honestly, if you at were at least I think so. In your you're later in your years and you are working in pizza delivery, it can be like that's a lot. Yeah. I mean you don't have I assume enough to make ends meet yeah. or you're not living lavishly. You don't have like luxury items, yeah. yeah you're probably so, barely getting by if that. Yeah. And some smart people come up to you and they tell you about an extravagant plan to get some cash. Yeah. And I know th- actually I know some people who would probably participate in this. Exactly. It doesn't mean he deserves to get murdered. He does not. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bank robbery is not a crime that's punishable by death. Yeah. So US attorney Mary Beth Buchanan said, quote, "We're not exactly sure how much Wells knew." We know he was involved in a limited extent with the planning of this, end quote. So let's talk about the conspirators, and there's a lot of them, so bear with me. First, though, let's talk about who Marjorie is as a person. Marjorie, as you know, is the only child of Harold and Agnes Deal, and I'm not sure how her parents acquired their money, but anyway, Marjorie was described as highly intelligent. She was the valedictorian of her high school class, and she also has a master's degree. But Marjorie has a history of mental illnesses, including compulsive hoarding and bipolar disorder. You already know that she shot and killed a man in 2003, and that she hid his body in a freezer, but she killed someone else before that too. In 1984, she shot and killed her boyfriend, Robert Thomas, but claimed she was abused and that it was self-defense. She was acquitted of those charges. In 1992, her husband, Richard Armstrong, died as the result of a cerebral hemorrhage, and she won a malpractice settlement from the hospital over his care. One of Marjorie's former lawyers said that her mental health issues made him think that she wasn't really capable of planning the pizza bomb bank thing, and he said, quote, I always found that she had a great deal of trouble developing and following any rational process of going from step A to step B, end quote. So, she so maybe m- Kenneth was yeah. more of a mastermind. Yeah. And wow, then that says a lot about him choosing uh, Brian. Yeah. Because so that really was just... She might have like thought it up like, hey, we should kill my dad for money. Mm-hmm. But then Kenneth was probably like, and here's how we should do it. Wow. And that is our next conspirator we're going to talk about, Kenneth Barnes. The feds believe that it was Kenneth who actually, quote, choreographed every aspect of the pizza bomb bank plot. He looks smart. In... I guess. I I can believe that he's smart, I guess. I wouldn't say that he looks it, but I could believe it. In late 2005, Kenneth, who was already in jail on some unrelated drug charges, was turned in by his brother-in-law after he revealed details of the crime to him. And this is yet another example of how people just need to shut up. I mean, I'm glad that they're so stupid because then cases get solved, but like, yeah, come on. So loose lips sink ships. I like how you sang it. So, in July of 2007, a U.S. attorney announced that Marjorie and Kenneth had been charged in connection with the crime, with Marjorie as the mastermind. And I think that might just because, like I said, she probably thought it up, but she wasn't capable of executing it, and that's where Kenneth comes in. So, in exchange for a reduced sentence, Kenneth told investigators that Marjorie was the true mastermind of the crime and spilled the details about the motive and that she wanted the money to pay to have her father killed, who she believed was wasting her inheritance. When the U.S. attorneys announced this, Brian Wells and William Rothstein were listed as unindicted co-conspirators, unindicted because they were both deceased. 
In April of 2005, Marjorie told a state trooper that she had information about the Pizza Bomb Bank plot. And I think I say those words in a different order every time. (laughs) But Marjorie met with FBI agents and agreed to tell them everything she knew in exchange for a transfer to a minimum security prison. During a series of interviews, Marjorie admitted to providing the egg timers to William Rothstein that were used in the bomb and placed the blame mainly on him. She claimed that he was actually the one who masterminded the plot and that Brian, with William, had been directly involved in the scheme. Which is convenient to say, right. since they're both dead. So, No one wants to say it was all my idea. And there are more co-conspirators. What? Here we go. On August 31st, 2003, a friend of Brian Wells named Robert Panetti was found dead in his home. Though he was never officially or directly linked to the crime, he was scheduled to be interviewed by police on September 1st, the day after he died. Police noted that his behavior changed with him becoming, like, really paranoid right after Brian died. His death was ruled to be an accidental drug overdose. So they wanted to interview him for some reason because he probably knew something. Yeah. Whether he was a co-conspirator or just, like, knew something. We don't, we'll never know. Floyd Stockton, or maybe Floyd Stockling, I've seen it reported as both of those, he was a man who lived with William at his house at the time of the Pizza Bank bomb plot and was also believed to be involved. But he was given immunity in exchange for his testimony against William. But since William passed away, Floyd was never called in for that. And then there's William Rothstein, who we've already talked about. Well, on September 20th, 2003, so way before he was ever connected to this crime, he lived in a house near the television tower where the pizza plan kicked off. And he called the police to tell them that he had the body of James Roden in his freezer. He said that his ex-girlfriend Marjorie had murdered James with a 12-gauge shotgun during a dispute over money and that she paid him $2,000 to help hide the body and clean up the crime scene at her house. William said that he only called the police out of fear of Marjorie, saying that she's dangerous and manipulative. Later, he wrote a suicide note, though he never attempted to kill himself, but the note said that he had nothing to do with the pizza bank bomb plot. So Super weird. So how was he holding on to the body? Like... 2003 is when he was killed, and this was also in 2003, so I think it was just like like maybe a couple months, maybe like two months or something, because shortly before the the thing went down, she killed James because she thought he was going to like yeah, tell, spill. and then like a month after it happened is when William was like, hey, that's dead guy's in my freezer, so maybe like two months, maybe less. What a weird phone call. Yeah. Why would you... Okay. If you're afraid of Marjorie, why are you about to William tell the cops snitch. that she killed James? So... But William was already known to police because in 1977, he was involved in another murder. Yeah, he probably kept that body in the freezer. I'm just kidding. When, so, like, Marjorie and I were like, she killed James Roden. And before that, she killed somebody else. And we're like, William was involved in James Roden's murder. And before that, he was involved in another murder. So just some There's really Not enough consequences for murdering folks. people. Yes. So in 1977, he gave a handgun to a friend for the purpose of using it in a murder. And then he later attempted to destroy the gun. Ultimately, he was given immunity from prosecution in exchange for his testimony. But it just seems like this group of people has had some interesting run-ins with the law. And, yeah, and they're like, like slaps on the wrist for like really big deals. Yeah, they're just able to manipulate the system so that they get immunity or yeah. abbreviated sentencing or 
Wow. I don't know. So they must have great lawyers. Something. They probably have public defenders. I don't know. So an, an FBI affidavit reported that two separate witnesses came forward stating that Brian had conversations about the robbery about a month before it happened, leading investigators to believe that he was a conspirator and not just thrust into the scheme. Gotcha. The U.S. attorney said that Brian had been involved in the plot from the beginning, and that and he, the U.S. attorney said that Brian had been involved in the plot from the beginning, and had thought that the fake bomb and the instructions would provide him with an alibi if he got caught. But as you know, his co-conspirators fitted him with a real bomb that would have exploded even if it was removed or if he completed the tasks. When he discovered that the bomb was real, Barnes said a pistol was fired in order to force Brian to be compliant, and witnesses confirmed they did hear a gunshot. So remember, you were like, so he finds that it's a live bomb and he still does it? They had a gun to, like, coerce him to still go through with it. But still, they take your chances with a gun. Yeah, I'd be like, shoot me then. They probably would have yeah, shot him, Who else him, is going to do this? Who's, yeah. who's going to do the bank yeah. robbery then? Yeah, that's true. But I'd be like, I want a fake bomb. Yeah. Yeah, just drop... Well, you know. And he was going to, yeah, either you die with a, like, a, the real bomb or you die getting shot, but wouldn't you rather have the option to live by demanding to not wear the real bomb? Yeah. Like, I, either I like say a, that now, but I feel like in the heat of the moment, like, oh, like, okay, just put the bomb on me. Y'all aren't going to kill me. And they probably were like, we're not going to let you die. We're not going to let you die. Yeah. So then why is it a real bomb if you're not going to let me die? So. Ooh, weird bunch of people. Earlier, I mentioned a woman named Jessica Hoopsick and said that she was the link between Brian and Kenneth. Like, that's how they know each other. Well... In 2018, she admitted to being involved in the plot. In 2003, she was a prostitute, and two of her regular clients were Brian Wells and Kenneth Barnes. Sad day. Yeah. She said that Kenneth approached her asking if she knew someone that they could use as a quote-unquote gopher who they could scare into robbing a bank. And Jessica recommended Brian Wells and described him as a pushover. So she decided to set Brian up with Kenneth for the purpose of being the bomb wearer in the crime in exchange for money and drugs. So she's terrible. Wow. ATF agent Jason Wick, which I've read as John Wick every time I've looked at this. <laughs> so ATF agent Jason Wick said that in 2003, Jessica wasn't cooperative in their investigation, but that they always thought she knew more than she was letting on. And why'd she wait till 2018 to be like, yeah. Because she was living a questionable life and... Didn't want to be involved with police, so he said that she's not exactly a credible witness, though. Mm -hmm. So this is really—it's exactly like you said. It's super bizarre Bizarre, and complicated. complicated, Yeah, and like they just—to me, they just don't look like they could have thought this all out because this is like a movie, but they did it, man. Like even like the cane gun—that's like super sophisticated. How did you know how to do that? Yeah, I'm telling you, this Kenneth Barnes fella is smarter than he looks. He—he doesn't not look smart. He kind of looks. He just looks like an evil scientist. So on July 29th, 2008, U.S. District Court Judge Sean J. McLaughlin said that Marjorie was mentally incompetent and unfit to stand trial. So she was sent to a federal mental hospital in Texas. Welcome, Marjorie. And the courts planned to review her mental health later so that she could eventually stand trial. So it wasn't like they were trying to get her out of this forever. They were just like, doctor up over there because we want to yeah. nail her for this. So... On September 9th, 2009, a judge determined that Marjorie was now competent enough to proceed, and in October of 2010, she took the stand to testify on her own behalf as part of her defense. Never a good 
This well, is where you go, what a ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she asked for a change of venue, arguing that extensive media coverage of the case prevented her from receiving a fair trial in Erie. But Judge McLaughlin denied her request and said that the media was like as fair, as unbiased as you could possibly be in this situation because it's so unusual, so bizarre and complicated. Obviously, gotcha. there's going to be extensive media coverage. You tried to rob a bank with a bomb and a pizza man. When you say it like that, that sounds yeah. ludicrous. <laughs> so on November 1st, 2010, Marjorie was convicted of armed bank robbery, conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery, and using a destructive device in a crime. Okay. On, nice. Yeah, so there were some consequences. On February 28th, 2011, she was sentenced to life in prison to be conserved consecutively with the time she already received for the 2003 murder of James Roden. Yeah, because clearly she needs to be behind bars with whatever Forever. mental uh, health yeah, this is now two murders and three murders if you count Brian. Yeah. So three murders and a bank robbery. Yeah, so giving her medication ain't working. Yeah, so. you gotta lock her up. Despite numerous appeals, courts continued to uphold her conviction, and she actually died in 2017 at the age of 68 from breast cancer while she was in prison. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, don't wish that on anybody. Yeah, at least you didn't have a fist-sized hole blown in your chest. You're right. She so. was. She wasn't so merciful to Brian. Yeah. On September 3rd, 2008, Kenneth Barnes pleaded guilty to conspiring to rob a bank and aiding and abetting, which is just a fancy way of saying he was an accessory or a participant in a crime. On December 3rd of that year, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison by a federal judge for his role in the pizza bank bomb plot. It's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's old already. Yeah. So, you know the whole thing about Brian being a willing participant or not? Mm -hmm. Well, his family thinks that he wasn't. They think he actually was approached by strangers at gunpoint and that, like, he didn't know these people. And they fastened a bomb to him and forced him to participate in the robbery, which pretty sure we can prove that he knew them. But I don't think we'll ever really know how much he knew. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, clearly no one would sign up to get blown up. Nobody would. So he had to think he might have been willing to rob the bank. But I don't think he knew the ex- – he didn't know, like, the ins and outs of the whole plan. Yeah. He thought they were just robbing a bank. Yeah. And to me, I would assume that he only knew Kenneth. He didn't necessarily know if Marjorie was involved. Right? Well, is there some- I don't know if he knew that she wanted to kill her dad with the money. Exactly. Like, we, so all we know is that he knows Kenneth and they're robbing a bank. Yeah. We don't know if he knows Marjorie. We don't know if he knows the motive. We you don't know, know if he knows, why like, the they, yeah, that they need yeah, the money. Yeah, like, the, what they need the money for. Like, the day of, we know he found out the sum, but we don't know if he knew this the whole time. Yeah, because clearly like, he wasn't committed to the sum. He's like, $8,000 will do. He wasn't super invested. <laughs> That's more money than I've seen in a while. Yeah, so, like, so he was going around allegedly telling people that he was going to rob the bank. So he knew he knew at least the bank was getting robbed like a month before. Remember, there was two witnesses who said that they heard him oh. a month before. So right, like, right, people right. talk about things. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are like really committed to it Yeah. or like know the whole thing. Or just like, Yeah, but the idea came from somewhere. Yeah. Because he knows Kenneth. So we at least know, we can agree that he knows Kenneth and he knows the bank is going to get robbed. And we can't, we, we'll never know the rest of it. Yeah, well, I feel bad. Listen, don't regularly go see Ladies of the Night. They will sign you up for some stuff you don't want to be involved with. Yeah. In exchange for drugs. So. Just a really, really cheap price. So. Yeah. Your life is like nothing to them. That's, like, that's literally what this was. They sacrificed yeah. Brian. They that- asked for a sacrificial lamb. Yeah, I feel like that's that's the most offensive part to me. Like, they just kind of decided he wasn't valuable enough yeah. to them. And that's not they right. could have just picked a stranger off the street and accosted them because that's how worthless they were to him. Yeah, like, that's 
that's how little involvement it requires too. He was to them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did he need to know the ins and outs of the truth? Like, yeah. could have just you could have really got him. a police, yeah. like a pizza delivery person. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't. Like, I don't know what I'm glad about. This yeah. is really complicated. I mean, it would have been, been worse, honestly, if they picked a stranger. But they picked somebody who wanted to at least rob the bank, I guess. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, okay, I know what you're saying. If you'd like to know more about this case, it has actually got quite a bit of attention. In fact, it might be our most publicized case yet. There's a book called Pizza Bomber, the untold story of America's most shocking bank robbery. And there's a Netflix documentary called... Evil Genius, the true story of America's most diabolical bank heist. That's what Evil Genius is yeah. about? Is it a series? I've never watched it, but is it like every episode is a different story? No, I think it's... I, well, I haven't even like clicked into okay. it to see, but I have just seen it there. Apparently, it at least... recommended to me often. At least one part of it is about this case. Cool. So. And it's been featured on some other podcasts, such as My Favorite Murder, Do Go On, Swindled, Case File, and Stuff You Should Know. So... It's definitely got yeah. some attention, but it's just crazy. Yeah, and I, I'm surprised I never heard about it. And I'm, yeah. I, I consume true yeah. crime, well, except like, for on Netflix with my yeah. recommendation. <laughs> Whenever my sister and I were listening to the Cowboy Bob one, I was like, I want to do a bank robbery case, and I was like, I'll do Brian Wells. And she was like, How do you just like store these <laughs> random crimes in your brain? Like you're like bank you robbery. You were born Brian for this. Wells. Yeah, I am an encyclopedia of crime. So, thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any comments or questions about this case or just feedback about the show in general, you can find us online at facebook.com slash sideline sleuths.